Welcome to Real Christianity, where our mission is to bring the church back to the Bible. My name is Dale Partridge, and I'm the president of Relearn.org and Reformation Seminary. The premise of this show is simple. The culture is growing darker. The church is in need of sound doctrine, and many Christians are hungry for the truth. Join me here each week as we look to Scripture and discover what it really means to be a Christian. Welcome to the show. We are in the middle of a four-part series on misused and abused passages of Scripture. So I have picked four passages that I have seen Christians twist and distort into something they are not. Last week, we tackled the first verse, which Christians use to often refute the doctrines of election or the doctrine of election. And I showed you how that particular verse actually upholds the doctrine of election. That was 2 Peter 3, 9, which states, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Today, we're going to hit a passage of scripture used by thousands upon thousands of Christians from Bethel, Hillsong, Elevation, and other proponents of the prosperity gospel. Uh, today's passage is 1 Peter 2, 24, which states, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. These people that adhere to uh, the prosperity gospel really promote this passage of Scripture. And as you're going to learn in this series, most Christians don't know how to accurately interpret Scripture. Instead of allowing the grammar or the historical cultural context to determine the author's intended meaning, people allow their uh, their emotions to produce an interpretation instead. And as a result, they, they believe falsehoods about God, and they misunderstand essential doctrine and theology about the gospel. And I firmly believe that if you don't believe rightly about the basic and essential gospel doctrines, you're not saved. Uh, Born-again Christians understand the basic and essential parts of the gospel, and it's what permits them to share the gospel with others. People who don't understand the basic essentials of the gospel, they might still go to church, and they might love Christian religion, but when they tell others about Jesus, they communicate a false gospel. And this is exactly what happens I'm going to say this is always what happens, but this happens very often in the prosperity gospel community. Uh, They believe the gospel is about health and wealth when it's really about our sin. Uh, They they believe the gospel is about our physical redemption when it really gets about our spiritual redemption. And as someone who has been chronically ill uh, for years now, I can tell you Many of these prosperity peddlers have recited this passage of Scripture to me. Uh, They say, remember, Dale, uh, by his stripes you have been healed. You just need to have faith to apply that healing to your body. Right On Jesus.net, in an article titled, By His Stripes You Have Been Healed, the author writes, "This This verse is very important because it directly associates the work of the cross with the solution for your sickness, end quote. Uh, another article written by uh, Colin Urquhart once said, quote, When Jesus stood bearing the lashes from the Roman soldiers, 
All of our physical pain and sicknesses were being heaped upon him. It is as if one lash was for cancer, another for bone disease, another for heart disease, and so on. Everything that causes physical pain was laid on Jesus as the nails were driven into his hands and feet, end quote. The next one is by Bill Johnson of Bethel. And this is straight out of his mouth. I watched this video and dictated word by word into my script. He said, quote, when I do communion, I like to make a confession. Quote, by your stripes, I was healed. It's extremely important, he says, that we begin to contend for what Jesus made provision for. And that, uh, that is the subject called divine health. I believe it is the provision of the Lord in his suffering on our behalf that Jesus bore stripes in his body through brutal beating as an atoning work to deal with the power of sickness and disease, end quote. Okay, did you guys catch that? Bill Johnson, the leader of Bethel, believes that the atonement was about the immediate healing of sickness and disease. No, the, the atonement was about sin and righteousness, not sickness and disease. People, you guys pay attention for, for a second. The heart of the gospel is seen in the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. Okay, in, in the Old Testament, God gave his people animals to act as their substitute to atone for or cover their sin. And instead of them paying the penalty of, of sin, which is death, uh, the sin uh, would be laid upon the animal and the animal would die in their place as their substitute. Uh, this is the basis for the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. It was never about atoning for their physical health. It was always about atoning for their sins. And Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, the, the perfect sacrifice, came to fulfill what the animals of the Old Covenant could not fulfill. Uh, he became, as Hebrews 10.10 says, a sacrifice for all time. Okay, Christ came to take the penalty of his people, that is, to die and to suffer the wrath of God as our substitute. As Christians, our, our sins are imputed to him, and his righteousness is imputed to us. Uh, by, by faith in Christ, we're justified before God as a result. We have peace with God through the blood of Christ. By Christ's work, we are redeemed. Okay, John MacArthur once said, God treated us, or God treated Jesus on the cross as if he lived your life so that he could treat you as if you lived his, end quote. You see, but, but Bill Johnson doesn't understand this. Instead, uh, he, he, along with thousands of others in the prosperity church, believed that the atonement was about physical prosperity. Uh, and, and for those who have clung to this interpretation and have suffered or have even you know, lost their lives, they're left wondering in those moments why the gospel failed them. Why, why were they not healed? Did, did they not have enough faith? Is Christianity without power? Is it all a sham? These are the questions that people are left with when they believe the gospel promises are something that they are not.
This is a wicked heresy. And in today's episode, I'm going to be breaking down this passage, which is at the heart of the prosperity gospel, to prepare you to refute this interpretation next time you hear it being shared. But before we begin, allow me to mention this episode sponsor. Are you ready to start a family and feeling overwhelmed by the prospect of incredibly high maternity bills? Uh, Veronica and I have definitely been there. Uh, Before you get discouraged, there's a biblical solution that I want to share with you guys today. Christian Healthcare Ministries is a faith-based nonprofit, voluntary cost-sharing ministry uh, through which participating Christians help pay each other's medical bills. Uh, Our family, years ago, ditched the traditional insurance for Christian health sharing, and it's cut our healthcare costs by almost 70%. CHM offers a maternity program for their gold members that for routine maternity and delivery, it's not going to incur any additional costs beyond their monthly share amount. And what does that mean? Uh, It means that you can afford to have that baby. (laughs) That's what it means. And if you want to know more about CHM and their maternity program, you can visit their website at chministries.org. Again, that's chministries.org. And you can just request an info pack for more information. All right. So as mentioned in the last episode, uh, this four-part process that we use while we're interpreting scripture is analyzation, observation, interpretation, and application. Now, each of these steps include a variety of steps that, you know, basically starts with analyzation and understanding the author and the audience, the date, the purpose of correspondence, the structure and outline of the letter, and then moves on through the observation, interpretation, application process. Now, our passage is from 1 Peter. It's one of two letters written to the same audience, by the Apostle Peter. It's uh, the only letters that are written or ascribed to Peter. Uh, We know that Peter uh, mentions his name in the beginning of these letters. Uh, Most scholars also believe that Peter was personally uh, behind Mark's gospel. He was the, I should say, even say the personality behind Mark's gospel. Uh, The audience of this epistle are Christians who lived outside of Rome. Uh, It's likely why he calls them pilgrims. Uh, in the letter's salutation. And these Christians were being fiercely persecuted by the emperor at that time, who was Nero, who blamed the great fire of Rome on the Christians. And as a result, Peter writes them to encourage them in their trials and reminds them that they can give glory to God even in the midst of difficulty. Uh, Peter also addresses uh, the grace of the gospel, the suffering of Christ, uh, the unique calling they've received as the elect people of God, and how they should walk in light of being saved. And then he addresses, really at the towards the end of the letter, last couple chapters, uh, several groups of Christians, including servants, wives, husbands, elders, and then closes the book with an encouragement to resist the devil. Uh, our passage today is located after a section of the epistle that is addressing servants and masters, and before uh, a section addressing Christian wives. And our passage is right in the midst of a larger thought beginning in 221 and ending in 225. Uh, So let's just read the passage together and allow me to break it down verse by verse after that. I'm going to be reading in the NASB 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. For you have been called for this purpose, 
since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. End quote. Okay, so Peter opens up this section by saying in verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Peter's essentially referring back to the previous verse uh, in verse 20, which I didn't read to you guys, but essentially he tells Christians to be willing to patiently suffer persecution, even if it's unjust. In fact, Peter says, this is the purpose for why God has called you to be like Christ, right? And to demonstrate patient endurance in suffering for crimes or sins you didn't even commit. Uh, he, he goes on talking about this in, in verse 22, and he gives us some examples of Jesus. He says, Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he did not utter, utter threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So Christ suffered unjustly, just like these people are suffering unjustly. But the difference is Christ had no sin. He definitely did not deserve to suffer. But these people and us are sinners and suffering is a result of sin. I recently wrote on Twitter, quote, to complain in suffering is to express that we don't deserve it. But sin is the cause of suffering, and we are sinners. Christ is the only one who ever lived who could rightly claim in suffering, quote, I don't deserve this, yet he did not, end quote. Okay, guys, the, the lesson Peter is teaching, uh, teaching us here is a lesson of Jesus in John 15, 19 through 20. It says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Remember the world, or remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. The great Puritan writer, Samuel Rutherford once said, Quote, God has called you to Christ's side. And if the wind is now in his face, you cannot expect to rest on the sheltered side of the hill. You cannot be above your master who received many an innocent stroke. The greatest temptation out of hell is to live without trials, end quote. People, Christians will suffer. We will suffer, whether by persecution or by trial or by sickness, we live in a fallen world, in fallen flesh, and we must follow our master's example in suffering. We must remain faithful and entrust ourselves to the Father who is sovereign over our suffering. We have no grounds to complain, only grounds to rejoice that in the grace of God, we are still here, right? For, for by his 
or I should say, his grace is sufficient for you. I have had to say that and recite that to myself so many times in the midst of suffering. His grace is sufficient for me. His grace is sufficient for me. Any pleasure beyond this grace is just mercy upon mercy upon mercy. It's all extra. We don't deserve any of it. We don't even deserve the grace. And so when we complain in suffering, uh, we have to remember that Jesus had no sin and didn't complain in his suffering. Yet we sit over here and complain for so many little things. It's absurd when you really put it into perspective and compare it and contrast it to the example left to us by Christ. But now we get to our focus verse for this episode. Uh, We understand the context of the book, the immediate context of the passage. Um, I want to read it again uh, so we can use the grammatical historical hermeneutic to make our interpretation. So this is again, 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25 actually. It says, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds, you were healed for you were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Okay. First, we have to know that Peter's words are not new here. They are a callback to a passage in Isaiah 53, four through six. Um, actually, I'm going to say even five through six. Isaiah 53, five through six. I'm going to read it in the ESV. It says, quote, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, end quote. Okay, Peter, the apostle to the Jews, is using Old Testament doctrine to demonstrate how Jesus was the Messiah and remind them how Christ fulfilled this prophecy that now benefits their souls. Now, what I want you to grasp, so you guys know that this is an Old Testament reference and a New Testament letter, and that line, with his wounds we are healed, is not Peter's line. It's it's Isaiah's line that's coming from the Lord. And so... Um, now I want you, this passage, to really look at it from a theological perspective. People want this passage to say that he himself bore our sins and sickness in his body on the cross. But that's not what it says. Not in Isaiah or in First Peter. Not only does that imper- interpretation not fit with the context of the passage, it doesn't fit with the gospel. Let me explain. There is no sin in sickness. That is, sickness is the result of sin, but sickness in and of itself is not sinful. God doesn't tell us we're going to be punished for our sicknesses. We don't say, you know, Lord, forgive me for this tumor. Okay, there's, there's no command of God in scripture for people to not be sick. We don't, need to repent for, you know, our anemia or COVID. Um, No sickness and disease has any moral value in scripture. They are simply 
the result of our fallen flesh and our fallen world. So this passage, or I should say, so is this passage talking about sin or sickness? So let's look a little bit deeper here. Okay, it makes sense when the passage says, he himself bore our sins on the cross. It makes sense because sin has a moral penalty to pay. Okay, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 10.28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, Leviticus 17.11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Okay, so Jesus went to the cross to pay our punishment. That is both physical and spiritual death. He, he went to go do that. And he did that for our moral trespasses, for our sins. He gave his life, that is his blood, as it said in Leviticus, for our sins. When his blood spilt, his life spilt, and that was the atoning substance that covered our sins, now that all makes sense, right? But what doesn't make sense is to say that Jesus bore our sicknesses on the cross. Why would Jesus be punished or have to pay the penalty for sickness and disease when sickness and disease are not moral issues? There, there is no theological congruency here. Okay, there is no penalty for sickness. Why would you need to bear it on the cross if there's no penalty for the sickness? But what, why does it say that you have to be healed? That's the next question, right? But why does it say you have been healed? Well, the Greek word uh, that's being used there is uh, iathete, and it's used to describe physical and spiritual healing in the New Testament. And one of those definitions is really to be made whole. But since this is an Old Testament reference, we don't just want to know what the Greek word means. We want to know what the Hebrew word meant. And the Hebrew word means to heal or to mend or to restore. And that could include physical or spiritual or relational uh, one of the references I actually saw was the healing of the nation. Um, now, we have to understand that sin is viewed as a sickness in Scripture. The original sin of Adam is passed down like cancer to all of his progeny. It's something that's hereditary. Uh, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man— and death through sin, and so death spread like disease to all men because all had sinned. That's Romans 5.12. The great Bible commentator, John Gill, who was, if you don't know this, the forefather of the church where Charles Spurgeon preached, so he was there before Spurgeon, he once wrote, quote, sin is a disease belonging to all men, a natural, hereditary, nauseating, and incurable one, but by the blood of Christ, forgiving sin is a healing of this disease. And this is to be had and in no other way than through the stripes and wounds, the blood and sacrifice of the son of God, end quote. So our passage 
today is telling us that through Christ, the sickness of sin has been healed. We have been mended. We have been restored. We have been spiritually healed. Now, uh, this does not mean that the gospel does not promise complete physical healing eventually, because it does. Just The Bible just doesn't promise that we're going to have that physical healing prior to the resurrection at the return of Christ. Okay, Revelation 21.4 tells us the famous verse that you all probably know. It says, quote, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Uh, Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Sam Storms, he says, quote, by his death at the first coming, he has laid the foundation for the ultimate overthrow and annihilation of all physical disease, which will occur at the resurrection of the body at his second coming. Thus, it is theologically misleading to say that Jesus bore our sicknesses in the same way that he bore our sins on the cross. Rather, he paid the price for our sins in order that one day when he returns to glorify his people, he may wholly do away with all of our sicknesses, end quote. So again, I have to ask a question here. If Christ's sacrifice on the cross paid not also, or paid not not only our sins, but also our sicknesses, then why is this promise of the future not a reality in the present? What I mean by that is that according to Revelation 21.4, where it says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain nor anymore for the former things have passed away. If Christ's sacrifice on the cross paid for our sicknesses, then why is this a promise of the future? and not a reality in the present. If scripture says that in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more death and pain, then why would we think this passage is making a claim for it to be in the present today? And that's the question that I would would pose to the prosperity people. Nowhere in scripture does it support that our, our diseases and sicknesses will be taken from us now but our sins have been forgiven. Our sins in Christ, we have been restored to our relationship with God. Sin has no dominion over us anymore. Uh, but this, this idea that, um, that we can no longer be sick if we just apply a certain amount of faith and these promises to us is absurd. It doesn't match up with reality. The, the truth is, is that the reason Jesus was healing people during his time on earth was to validate that he was indeed the Messiah. And the apostles were given this apostolic power for these supernatural gifts to continue to validate that supernatural ministry uh, of the Messiah. But once the apostles died and Christ was ascended to heaven, there was no more regular physical healing through individuals to other individuals 
Now, does God still heal? Absolutely. God still heals. But there are not individuals here that are, quote, healers or have the gifts of healing in the same way that Christ had it or in the same way that the apostles had it. We can pray that God heals, and we should. But the reality is that that is not promised for this period of life. And anybody who has struggled with chronic illness or the death of a loved one that's a Christian or some sort of tragic event understands the reality of this passage. So we need to be sober-minded when we analyze passages of Scripture to look at the context to realize that this doesn't make sense. And so the people who interpret the Scripture as the immediate healing of our sicknesses have really pitted the doctrine of John against the doctrine of Peter. John says that in the future, these will come, that we will be healed, and there will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more death. Um, But Peter's talking about that we have been healed only of our spiritual illness. So our spiritual illness has been healed. Our physical illness has not quite been healed yet. We are in part redeemed, but not fully glorified. So after a good look at this passage, I think we can safely conclude that the grammar, the context, both of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the theology do not support that our sicknesses and diseases will be healed in the present by Christ's work on the cross. Okay, any other interpretation strikes a blow at the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement, and it perverts the purpose of the cross. The cross is where Christ bore our sins, and we have been healed spiritually from the disease of sin that plagued us and is the source of those sicknesses. But while we still have this flesh that we drag around with us, this flesh that Paul's so frustrated with, this flesh that we hear about in the New Testament, that we battle against, that flesh is still here with its sicknesses and with its fallen nature and its disorder. And when the Lord comes to return and our bodies are resurrected from the grave or caught up with him if we're alive at that time, our bodies will be made new. And that will be the day that we have the full expression of spiritual healing and physical healing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for truth. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us guessing. Lord, that you have allowed us to understand your word by looking at the words that you used, by using some of these great tools that the saints before us have developed for faithful accurate interpretation. Lord, we also thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us wisdom and directs us in our interpretations. Lord, we pray that you would uh, help us battle against these false doctrines out there, to do so in love, uh, in truth, with grace and mercy, uh, with a willing heart for discussion. And Father, we thank you that you have made us well. Lord, that we are no longer under the condemnation of sin, but Father, that we are not slaves to to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness and slaves to Christ. Father, we ask that you would bless us with more understanding of your scriptures, that we would understand and know you more and understand and know you rightly so that we can give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, I hope this episode was edifying for you. Next week, we're going to be tackling 
the misinterpretation of Matthew 7, 1, which states, do not judge so that you will not be judged. The following week, we're going to be doing uh, Matthew 18, 20, which is for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. We're going to talk about those two passages over the next two weeks. If you are a regular listener to uh, the Real Christianity Podcast, would you guys do me a favor and leave a review you don't even need to write anything. You just need to tap the stars in your podcast app. However, if you do write something, I will read it. And I'm very encouraged when people leave a, a written review. They are they really do help the exposure of the show. Lots of people that are coming to Real Christianity and they're new, they're looking at those reviews. So please, they are meaningful if you take the time to do that. Also, we are, just as a reminder, enrolling for the June 2022 uh, class for Reformation Seminary. If you're interested in planting a biblical house church in your hometown and you feel like you're called to pastoral ministry, we want to talk to you. Go ahead and go to reformationseminary.com to apply. Uh, Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Real Christianity. My name is Dale Partridge, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Real Christianity. Real Christianity is a listener-supported audio ministry of relearn.org. Our mission at relearn.org is to bring the church back to the Bible. We achieve this through strengthening Christians in biblical and theological literacy. Find biblical articles, podcasts, sermons, and videos at our website at relearn.org. Our team is small, but our mission is large, and we need your help. If you'd like to support our ministry financially, you can always do so at relearn.org forward slash donate. Thank you again for joining me today, and I hope to see you next week for another episode of Real Christianity.